Triangle Brethren out there. This is your guest host, Barry Martin, speaking to you on this eve of the 21st of December, the year of our Lord, 2020. And as you might have already guessed, uh, Brother Isaac is out today, so he has asked me to fill in for him. And we want to pass our congratulations along to Isaac and his lovely wife as they have welcomed in their third child here recently a few days ago. So we want to uh, send out congrats and kudos to him. And, uh, you know, because really it takes a lot of faith to have children these days, if you if you know what I mean, with everything that's going on. And uh, that's why we don't see many people having many children, in, even among the Christian community. So blessings to them and their little blessing from God, a uh, little girl, he told me. But you might be asking, you know, who is Barry Martin? And, you know, my humble response would be no one of consequence, I assure you. Actually, that's a little line from uh, the Princess Bride movie that uh, one of my favorite movies, because in reality, I do believe we all are someone of consequences. You know, I guess that's my little way of saying all lives do matter. And what we do in our lives matter. So I thank uh, Brother Isaac for asking me to fill in for him. You know, we were church brothers for a little while at Calvary Baptist in Lafayette. And he found out from that experience that I'm um, quite a political fall from way back. I'm actually from Crowley, Louisiana, which is a home to a lot of famous Louisiana politicians. Anyone heard of Edwin Edwards? Of course you have if you're from Louisiana. And he actually, my mom actually went to school with Edwin Edwards. So I guess politics is just in the water around here where I come from. But I guess that's enough about me. How are you guys doing? You know, I pray you're holding up in uh, what is probably the craziest year of all of our lives. And I know if you're like me, you can't really believe what's going on and wondering what uh, God's plan is all this, especially concerning this election and what our proper response should be. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this election. You know, where do we stand just three days shy of Christmas as I'm speaking to you here tonight? You know, I've been trying to get up to speed uh, most of the day in preparation for this podcast. And like some of you probably, I listened and was listening to uh, Ken Matthews, who also today, he was filling in for Rush. So I'm not the only fill-in today. But uh, I kind of followed, if you listen to him today, I think he pretty much nailed it on the head, in my opinion, about what's going on with this election process. You know, first of all, I do believe with all my heart, 100%, that this election was stolen. In fact, there's no question in my mind it was stolen. Every shred of evidence we've seen over the last six weeks points to the fact that it was stolen. I mean, it looks like the Democrats strategically planned and targeted several swing states and coordinated this whole year to flipping them from blue to red. And uh, the states I'm talking about, I think you've seen in the news, you have Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Arizona. 
And in all these states, uh, just coincidentally, we saw a tremendous surge for Biden over what Hillary Clinton was able to do in the year 2016. And really, that's about the only place that you see a huge surge of Biden over what Hillary done just four years ago. So that's kind of suspicious when you see Biden outperforming in some of these swing states when he, in some of the other areas, he, he did worse than Hillary. So by focusing on cheating in the big cities, the Democrats really didn't have to cheat everywhere, but only in a few locations in these swing states where these cities are notoriously known for, you know, political machines that you know, often do a lot of cheating during elections. You know, you go way back to JFK. Um, it said that in Chicago that a bunch of dead people voted. And really, Nixon probably won that election. But Nixon conceded back in 1960, I believe. So they have a lot of cities in this country that have a history of corruption and just overall cheating. They're willing to do what they need to do to get their candidate to win. And if you followed uh, the election on election night, I think we, we started to see some, some pretty uh, interesting things on election night. You know, around midnight, you have several or 11 o'clock midnight our time, you had several of these states, all of a sudden they announced that they're going to stop counting for the night. And if you followed these presidential elections like I have, that's pretty unprecedented. You wonder why would they stop in the middle of the night? And even, even so much to go is to report a water main break in Georgia. That later on, we, we find out that there was no water main break. That somebody apparently maybe put too much TP in the, the one of the toilets and made it overflow. So all of a sudden, they use that as an excuse to kick out all the Republican observers saying they were done for the night, but lo and behold, they continue to count. So they did this in a lot of states, that uh, these swing states. All of a sudden, they stopped counting. But during the night, while we slept, all of a sudden, Biden swung to the lead in each of these states. So very suspicious, but you might still say, well, that's just pretty circumstantial evidence there, Barry. What else do you have? But then we find out, you know, the Georgia, uh, several months ago during March, the Georgia secretary inexplicably signed a consent decree agreeing that mail-in signatures on the mail-in ballots would not be verified with what the Secretary of State had on fall at the office. Now, this is almost unbelievable. Like, why would anyone sign something like that? Even if it's under pressure by the Democrats, I think the Texas Secretary of State said, yeah, he was pressured to and sued, but he held his ground while in Georgia, this rhino, this secretary of state, he went off and signed it. But why would he sign it? The only reason 
that I can come of that you would not verify signatures would be to allow people to forge names of registered voters. I don't know, maybe you can come up with another reason to help me. But that's the only thing that I can come up with. So they did it to cheat. So the these Democrats over this last year, they've been busy little beavers while the Republican Party seemingly slept. You know, illegally changing election laws to make it easier to do mail-in voting on the pretense of COVID safety. But, you know, a lot of people say, well, mail-in voting, Facebook has told us mail-in voting is, is not, doesn't increase fraud at all. And so that's just a conspiracy theory, Barry. You know, it doesn't really uh, increase the chances of people cheating. But, you know, 20 years ago, none other than Jimmy Carter wrote an article saying that mail-in voting was not a good good method of doing elections because it was open to cheating. You know, and he, he goes and he observes all these elections overseas. So I guess that makes Jimmy Carter a conspiracy theorist, but I'm being sarcastic. So illegally changing these election laws, which uh, Brother Isaac was talking about last week, you know, these these uh, elected officials, instead of the state legislatures, which by the Constitution, the state legislature is supposed to vote on all changes to the election. Well, they didn't do that. So it allowed to what happened here November here, 3rd, it allowed that to happen. You know, and, uh, you know, because, all because it was just too dangerous to go vote during COVID. You know, too pe- it would put too many people at risk. But as we saw, you know, everybody was at Walmart. You were probably at Walmart. I was at Walmart. So it wasn't too dangerous to go to Walmart or do other things. So I think it was just a, you know, a convenient excuse to bring in this mail-in voting that they needed to bring in to beat President Trump. It's the only way they could beat President Trump. So the voting was just too dangerous in person. So we get this universal mail voting where they send out live ballots to every person on the voting rolls, including dead people, you know, because they don't clean up their rolls uh, too often. So you have dead people in there. You have a bunch of people that have moved. You have uh, illegal aliens. So people were getting ballots for people that they didn't even know. But because of this signature verification change, if you could get hold of one of these ballots, you could vote in that person's name. And that is what happened in Georgia. And uh, so it made it a lot easier for the Democrat Party to request ballots on basically every Democrat registered in a county. And so this produced a, a record turnout, of course, but we also know that it probably produced a record number of illegal ballots. And um, just watching the news today in Nevada, they had Republican researchers that discovered that 42,000 people voted twice in that state. And they had 4,000 illegal aliens vote in that state. And also thousands of 
of people, as Rush Limbaugh would say, have assumed room temperature, they voted as well, a.k.a. dead people. And also, we have 5,000 eyewitnesses signed affidavits, signed sworn affidavits under the penalty of perjury that have witnessed some irregularity or cheating in this election. 5,000 eyewitnesses to this crime of the millennium. You know, we heard their testimony about the bullying, the pushing the Republican observers out of the count area so they couldn't observe. And uh, that's when they would bring in all these fake ballots for Biden. They need and they needed to do this. They really did. You know, they really need to, do, to, to make up these ballots because, you know, the media won't tell you, but Trump is, was a very popular president. He actually fulfilled many of his campaign promises. He received over 74 million legal votes. Now that is more than any other president heretofore before this. So Trump actually increased his vote totals from 2016 by 13 million votes. So this was a very popular, very popular president. And the Democrats knew the only way they could beat him was through a mail-in system, which they could rig and make it easier for them to steal an election. Because nobody really believed that Biden got 81 million votes, which would have been 12 million more than, than Obama did in his, his best election outing. And this was a guy that did not even campaign. So we know this election was stolen. But knowing and doing something about it, that's two different things. So now what? You know, what, what do we do? Who, who do you go to to report a theft of an election? I mean, 911 ain't going to help. I mean, a steal an election is, is to, like, steal a nation, and that's too big a gig for the local police department to take care of. And, you know, it's not just any nation, but I consider the United States the greatest nation ever consecrated by Almighty God on this side of Christ's first advent some 2,000 Christmases ago. So where do we go to report such a crime? You think, well, maybe the media will investigate. But no, all of a sudden, they're not interested in stolen elections anymore like they have been for the last four years with President Trump. But, you know, what can we expect from a media who over the last four years faithfully fabricated false charge after false charge and manufactured scandal after scandal against our great president? You know, no, no longer do we really have a free press because they're now fully owned and controlled. So no help to come from the media, the watchdogs. They're supposed to be the watchdogs of our government. But you would think, well, what about the court? Surely we could sue and get our day in court. But, you know, as Bro Isaac so skillfully explained last week, that the courts won't even, they won't even look at the merits of the case. All they will say is that the, the suing party does not have standing. So they don't even want to investigate or even bring forward the, 
the mountains of evidence to show the irregularities. They won't even look. They refuse to look at it. So they're very cowardly. And they won't have anything to do, even though a lot of them think about it. They owe their, their jobs to a Trump nomination. That's one of the campaign promises that he fulfilled. He appointed um, something like 250 conservative judges in all. So what do we do now? We can't even have our day in court, much less a fair hearing. You know, once again, it looks like even the court system, like the media, is fully owned or controlled. So where do we go now? But uh, like I've probably insinuated, you know, I do believe that America is a divinely established nation. And our founders were some of the greatest minds the world has ever produced. You know, think about it. Could you think they could they foresee such a time as we are going through now? You know, and if if so, what remedy would they have for us, if any, for this? For this situation we find ourselves in. And you might have guessed they you might have guessed I do really believe that they do have a remedy, but probably only one risk remedy left uh left to us uh short of uh grabbing the pitchforks. Uh y'all remember Ben Franklin, he once says, you know, we've given you a republic if you can keep it. Well, the question that must be answered by every generation of America since then is, can we keep it? You know, I pray so, even though the hopes of many are fading. But maybe if we look back at this nation's founding, maybe we can rekindle our hope. And we will, by the grace of God, be given the will to right this wrong. So, of course, our founders for so such a time as this. You know, they were well aware of the tendency of fallen human nature. So they put in many safeguards in the Constitution or checks and balances. You know, after all, these were the descendants of those who fled the tyranny of popes and kings of Europe. No one need to explain to these people that humanity can, uh, the depths of that humanity, humanity can sink to the outside, uh, outside the grace of God. They knew the potential of human depravity. So yes, they put many remedies in the founding papers of this American nation. You know, and this, think about this is a nation that was really the very fruit of what I like to call a second great exodus of God's people. You know, instead of a Red Sea, it was an ocean blue that was crossed in 1492. And, you know, what a unique name. Think about this. I was studying this today of the man credited with discovery of this new promised land that was to come. You know, a new a new land for a new man in Christ. The Protestant Reformation was about to explode all over Western Europe. You know, true Christianity was just incompatible with the authoritative edicts of one man rule that existed in Europe. Now, this new people in Christ needed a new land in order to freely worship the true God of the universe. 
And we know the Lord is our provider, and boy, did he ever provide. You know, not by coincidences, but by his providence. So this man, Christopher Columbus, sails in 1492. You know, think about this as a man who literally has the name Christ in his first name. And just so happens one of the ships that he's on is called the Santa Maria which would have been a name, was named after the mother of Christ. So Columbus is uh, brought, think about this, he's brought to a foreign land aboard a vessel named Mary. And just in case we're just still a little too obtuse to catch this symbolism, you know, God even makes it plainer. As I discovered today, I looked up to see what was the meaning of the word Columbus. Well, I found out an interesting thing looking that up today. Uh, Columbus is actually a Latin word that means dove. Now, hello. You know, what does dove symbolize in the Bible? It symbolizes uh, God's Holy Spirit. You know, it's commonly used symbol for that. So think about it. This was a divine voyage with the very spirit of Christ on board. And what other day that they would, the the St. Mary, Santa Maria would run aground on present day Haiti, but on Christmas day in 1492. I think the symbolism is is just so astounding. It's, uh, It's hard to miss, you know, God's handwriting in this uh, over history. And, after the Santa Maria ran dead, even took the wood from the Santa Maria and built the first fort on that island. And it was called Fort Navidad. Y'all know, y'all remember the song, Feliz Navidad. Well, Navidad means Christmas. So Fort Christmas was the first thing they built in the New World. So symbolically, the New World was claimed day one for Christ. You know, it's almost too much for our feeble minds to imagine. And, you know, later the pilgrims would come on the Mayflower, kind of like symbolic of the spring that was uh, to come on this new land. Their very name, Pilgrim, means people traveling to a holy place. And, you know, what a holy place America would become, this new promised land. You know, soon there was a great city not far from where they landed on Plymouth Rock called Providence. You know, it was a very fitting name for a city in America that I feel was divinely established by God for his people, the Christians. So the year was 1620, and the pilgrims would spend their first Christmas in the New World that year. But not before pinning the first document of self-government in the New World. It was called the Mayflower Compact. You know, so this was a manifest destiny. Now man would be ruled by laws derived from the people. And this would come from a new country. uh, This would come eventually from the Constitution for a new country that would spring up. So what is written would rule this new country, much like the Bible ruled their religious lives. The Constitution would now rule their government, which was of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
Yes, the Bible taught them much about checks and balances. I don't know if y'all are any Bible readers out there, but you might remember a time that Paul had to check Peter for his the way he treated Gentiles differently from the Jews, and also differently, therefore, from what the Word of God demands. You see, Peter, even though this man was reputed to be the first pope, Paul was saying no one was above the Word of God in religious matters. So, likewise, our Constitution is no man is above the Constitution in secular secular matters. They, They brought this learning over into secular government that they saw working out in Scripture. You know, no man was to be trusted, but neither, no, no one man was tru- to be trusted to rule a country, but the majority will of the people wasn't to be trusted either. You know, our founders tried our be- their best to prevent, prevent majority rule from becoming mob rule. You know, the Electoral College is one example of this. You know, how many of you have heard the Democrats decrying, you know, that the Electoral College is anti-Democrat or anti-Democratic? You know, and actually, they're, they're correct. The Electoral College is anti-Democratic. But as the founders would point out, it's not anti-Republic. And if you say the Pledge of Allegiance, you find out quickly we have a republic, not a democracy. So try as they may um, to help out, try as the founders may to, to uh, prevent, you know, this government from failing, the founders still wrote that this form of government would only be good for a moral people. Now think about that. We have a fraudulent election. You know, a moral people would never stand for a fraudulent election. But that's exactly what we're being told today, even by some of our leaders on our side. I mean, their their message seems to be, hey, the Democrats stole the election fair and square. It's time to move on, you know, and accept this China-owned puppet, Joe Biden. A man so enslaved by his fallen nature that that freedom to act out outside of it is not even notion, much less a possibility. You know, we know we know what he will do to this country because we know who he is. You know, I think um, many on our side make the all too common mistake of projecting our Christian ethos on the enemies of this nation. You know, most Christians, they shudder to think that men are capable of such treachery. I mean, who steals an election and sells out their country? Well, hello, the Democrats do. That's who does that. But they still don't believe that they could be that evil. But I would remind them, you know, naivete or gullibility is no virtue fitting the people of God. You know, and as Jesus told his disciples, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Well, we know from today's society who the serpents are. 
And if we are truly dove-like in our nature, we will never let such people pull the wool over our eyes. But still, you know, what remedy is love? Well, I do believe the founders have left us one tidbit of hope. You know, one more morsel of protection at this point left to avert this travesty of justice. You know, the courts has uh, cowardly stepped aside. You know, like Pontius Pilate, you know, they value their position over truth. And the executive branch almost seems as much resigned to Bible's successful steal as the courts. You know, I heard on uh, Ken Matthews' report today on the Rush Limb also, somebody saying that Mark Meadows, the president, actually the president's chief of staff is counseling the president to resign. You know, that's not only a rhino, but that's a rat. You know, it seems like only the president and a few brave lawyers hold the line. You know, the president is not conceding, which is unprecedented. We've never been in a position where we are told, being told that election is over, but yet the president is not conceding. So I think what most of us are failing to see on our side is this is a contested and disputed election. And here comes the morsel that we, that the founders left that we haven't passed yet. Our last chance. By statute, Congress must ratify the electoral college votes. And of course, you know, why not? That's the people's branch. They are supposed to be closest to the people. They are the last resort of the people of the United States. So it is, in essence, we the people through our duly and hopefully fairly elected reps who will decide the outcome of this election. Yes, ultimately it is us, the people, that the founders put the last line of defense in the eventuality of a stolen presidential election, which we find ourselves in today. In fact, you know, you probably heard this on the news, it only takes one House of Representatives and one senator to object to any of the state's electors in Congress will go into a debate over the election. Now, whether this debate lasts two hours, two weeks, or two months, I don't think that is specified, but ultimately there will be a vote. And why speed up, uh, speed past this process and say, oh, we don't have enough time and just accept a fraudulent election? No, Congress's duty is to render a decision on the validity of this election. And actually, uh, Ken Matthews reminded us today, it would be illegal to certify a fraudulent election. Now, these politicians need to remember the responsibility that's on them to ensure that they are not ratifying a fraudulent election. because. We have six states that are refusing to let us verify the results of their election. Now, it's up to Congress to say, if they refuse, we're not going to count your electors because you're refusing to verify these uh, irregularities. So we can't trust that your election results are true. 
Now, so far, we have uh, Mo Brooks of Alabama, representative of Alabama, who has already announced he would object to the Electoral College vote. And I think at last count, I might have saw that probably 23 other Republicans have at least given some indication that they will join him. So that takes care of the House of Representatives side. Now, on the Senate side, you have people like Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, and uh, the newly elected Senator uh, Tuberville from Alabama have made indications that they will also object. So guess what, people? This election will have its hearing in Congress of the United States. Maybe the court, maybe the Supreme Court will never pick up a case. But if the if a senator objects and a rep objects, we're going to have some form of redress over this election on January 6th. And even now, the president is um, inviting people to come to Washington, D.C. on that day. Uh, so don't, you know, don't let these rhinos lie to you. You know, the Republicans, when you think about it, they hold all the cards in this process. You know, and if they find the will, or more likely if they are made to find the will by us, yes, the rank and file, you know, that conservatives, almost 75 million strong that voted for President Trump, you know, they have the numbers in the House and the Senate to reject these electors from these contested states who till this day refuse even a examination of their severely flawed election process. So they prevent us from knowing the true victor in their state. And that is why, you know, that's really why, you know, take heart and be confident that our cause is just and true beyond a shadow of doubt. They prove that something very bad happened in the, these elections just by, by the very actions of preventing an investigation and signature verification, also throwing out dead people's vote. If you verify somebody's dead and they voted, why should that vote count? Of course, this is, I mean, this is common sense. Or if people voted twice, their vote should be thrown out. Of course, and we know from history, you know, just coincidentally, illegal votes tend to trend very heavily Democrat. So if you throw out these illegal votes, guess what? Trump becomes the victor. That is why they will not let us go in to these places and, and investigate the election, what happened. And that's why we can be sure beyond a shadow of doubt they cheated because that's why they're doing this. So, you know, only a, the guilty and any American would do such a thing to prevent us from proving the validity of these ballots. You know, they know that there was great, they know that there was great cheating, but they hate Trump so much, they just don't care. You know, and as my brother Isaac, I was talking to him on the phone, you know, we're dealing with the Democrats with people that have no problem with killing unborn babies. Do you think they would have a problem with stealing an election? 
No, I don't think so. That that's 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 easy. That's small time for them when you consider life and death. So ultimately, you know, it's up to us, which I consider the good moral people that the founders were talking about, to right this wrong and to save this country. So I'm urging y'all tonight, you know, to please call your senators, write your senators or message them on Facebook and also your representative, which mine is Clay Higgins. But the two senators in Louisiana are uh, Bill Cassidy and uh, John Kennedy. So make your will be known to these people. Speak out, you know, because. It's going to take 75 million of us to stand up to give these Republicans the nerve to do what is right and not pull a Pontius Pilate on us. Or I think more like a Judas when you think about it, because they're actually betraying the president that actually, you know, made them popular, made the Republic, actually built up the Republican Party. So call your senators, call your representatives. And on January 6th, maybe consider going to Washington, D.C. And uh, speaking of Washington, D.C., D.C., what does D.C. stand for? The District of Columbia. Well, guess who Columbia is named out? None other than the guy Christopher Columbus I just finished talking about. So what you have is the District of the Dove or the District of the Spirit of Christ in Washington, D.C. So we will see what, if that spirit will reign in Washington on that day, and I pray that it does, and I hope you will pray with me that it does. But only, this will only happen if that same spirit of Christ moves us to make that happen. You know, not only by prayer, but by action. You know, the Bible says in the book of James, faith, faith without works is dead. So in the faith that our cause is just in Christ, let us make this happen and stop just looking at others to do what we won't even do ourselves. And if the Congress votes, the state's electors in these states uh, votes to object to these electors, you know, the good old Constitution, that morsel, that remedy, it's written, it is written in the Constitution that the House will decide who becomes president which is actually, a lot of people don't know this, it's already happened twice, so this isn't unprecedented. It's happened before, and guess what? The Republic has survived it, and we can survive this. Now, I don't know if we can survive a stolen election. I doubt if we could, because guess what? The Democrats would just do it every time. You know, a bully will push on you till you fight back, and... They, they are some bullies. They're the biggest bullies around. So, if that happens, the House of Representatives, as it stands now, it's not a vote per member that would decide the president. It would be one, uh, each state delegation would get, get one vote each in the House. So, guess what? As it stands right now, the grand old party of Lincoln, Reagan and Trump, would decide the fate of the republic. And, you know, I think it was almighty God who was pleased to put that decision 
in the Republican Party's hands, our party, the conservative party. So we will have to wait and see. It would depend on us, you know, and as I'm going to wrap this up, you know, I just want to close out with uh, maybe a question that you're probably asking, you know, probably saying, you know, Barry, this sounds a little far-fetched. You know, we know the Republicans, they never have the guts to do what is right. But do you know who was extremely worried about this very scenario playing out? Nothing other than crazy Nancy Pelosi. In October, she warned the Democrats that this very outcome could happen and that the Republicans in the House could re-elect President Donald Trump for another four years. So remember, brothers, we're not just innocent bystanders. What we do matters. We were given a republic, and we keep it. God bless y'all. It's been very fun uh, guest hosting for Brother Isaac, and I pray that everybody has a blessed and Merry Christmas. Thank you.